This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I'll be leading us in a scripture reading. I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 to chapter 4, verse 7. If you have a Bibles, uh, now's time to take them out. If not, you can refer to the screen above. Chapter 3, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one, more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. No, good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here, especially all the youth. 
Um, you can see today is a difficult passage, so it's important for us to really ask God to help us to understand His Word today. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your wonderful Word to us, your Word which provokes our thinking, which teaches us of salvation, which assures us when we are doubtful. And we just pray once again that as we come to the book of Galatians, you'll be helping us through the Holy Spirit, be working in our minds and our hearts and our wills, so that truly we will be able uh, to respond rightly to you, to give thanks to you for the good things you've given us in Jesus Christ. So we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, how many of you have been to prison? I mean, hopefully, I, I, I mean, I hope none of you have actually gone as a prisoner. But have you actually visited someone in prison? So, you know, before I uh, became a pastor, I never had visited anybody in prison. But after I became a pastor, I, I did uh, unfortunately have to visit some people in prison. And I remember going to Queenstown Prison now. This is, uh, it's actually knocked down. I've been to Changi Prison, visit people. Um, actually, it's interesting. You know, when I was looking for pictures of Changi Prison, there's actually no... There's no picture of a sign that says Changi Prison. There's always a cluster A and cluster B, okay? But the thing I notice about going to prison is how scary it really is. Even as a visitor, you are quite intimidated. And uh, probably you're supposed to be. Uh, you're quite unnerved and it's a very unpleasant experience. The first thing you notice is there are lots of gates and bars. Um, you know, it's almost like you want to visit someone in prison. They purposely force you to walk like this huge distance where from one place to another there's just you go into a room and then they bar this gate behind you and then you go to another room and then you bang there's another gate behind you right and after a while you like you feel really like what happens if i want to go to the toilet you know i'm stuck behind all these gates and bars and you know it's not as if you can just sort of go somewhere where you want to go right but it's not just the bars and the gates of the prison which make it such an intimidating experience but it's also the prison wardens. You know, the prison wardens, they're not very friendly people at all. No? They're not like the SIA, S. Stewart, or the S. Stewardess, you know. They don't ask you, are you having a nice day? Are, you know, enjoying yourself in prison? No, they're really, really like grumpy people. They're like, you know, can you please step back? You better step back, you know. Uh, can you wait here? You wait here. And like, you don't know how long you wait for. No, it's not like, excuse me, excuse me. Like, they just ignore you. And you know, when time's up, time's up. It's not like when you go to the hospital, you know, visit someone, you can argue with the nurse, ah, I'm here for a little while. Long. It's like, time's up. And you know, when they say time's up, they really mean time's up. You know, they look at you that way, it's like, okay, I better leave. Maybe if not, they'll st I'll stay here for another 24 hours sort of thing, right? So, you know, we haven't been in prison. We don't go to prison very often. We don't really have that mindset of being intimidated by prison. But this is the mindset I think we need to come to as we come to this chapter in Galatians. We need to get this mindset of being under God, being in a cage, because that's what Galatians chapter 4 is about and chapter 3 is about. Now, we may be free, and I think all of us would prefer to be free like we are today. Right? You want to go to the toilet, you can go, right? I'm preaching, it doesn't matter, but you know, in prison, you can't, right? But what chapter 3 and 4 are really saying is often we put ourselves in our own prisons. We put ourselves into our own cages, but we're actually very, very free. So what does he mean? What do we mean by that as we come to this part of Galatians? Well, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the book of Galatians. And the early chapters of Galatians, uh, Paul wanted to make a point to defend his apostleship, the gospel that he preached. So he made a point of telling us 
that his apostleship was divinely chosen, called and commissioned by Jesus Christ. So he was God's messenger, right? He wasn't some sort of, you know, third-hand information provider. He was actually the spokesman of God. Also, the gospel that he had been given was divinely entrusted to him by God. So the gospel was actually God's work spoken through Paul to the Galatians. And last week, we saw that the core of the gospel that Paul had been preaching was Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. As crucified. And this was really important, right? This was really key because there were people who were trying to bewitch the Galatians to turn away from Jesus Christ as crucified. Now, what we learned last week was that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross to redeem us, to free us, to rescue us from being under the curse of the law because he who was righteous, Jesus, became cursed for us because he hung on a tree. So last week we saw that it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we belong to God and receive the Holy Spirit. It is through faith in the crucified Jesus that we belong to Abraham and we are blessed by God through his promises. So today as we come to God's word, there is a logical question that Paul then wants to address. If all these things are by faith, if all these things are by God's grace, all these things are by the promises of God, then what is the point of the law? What is the role of the law? What is the function of the law? What is the purpose of the law? So we begin by looking at chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. Stop following me around. Supposed to follow me around. It doesn't matter. Okay. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. So he begins by speaking to the practices of the ancient world, which in a sense we are not too unfamiliar with, right? Uh, in the ancient world, when you make a promise and it is ratified, it is established, it is recognized by witnesses and the law, then it is fixed, it is unchangeable, it is unalterable, it is, it is binding, right? And so God made a promise to Abraham. And so Abraham here is represented by this little person. And in the timeline of salvation history, God, right at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, made a promise to Abraham. So what did God say? God said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is in the nature of a promise. Okay? This is in the nature of a, a binding promise that God has unilaterally made to Abram. That's what we see here in my diagram. You're going to be sick of this diagram after a while because i got like a gazillion of these diagrams, right? So, so God made his promise to Abram. And by the principles of our society, the principles of the ancient world in which Galatians lived in, when you make a promise and it's ratified, it's recognized legally, it is, it is, it is a binding, officially made promise, then you cannot change this promise, right? It's unalterable. Okay? So, it's irreversible. So then, 
uh, verse 16 goes on and says, the promises were spoken to, sorry, Abram and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, which is Christ. And so what Paul is trying to say here is, God continues to keep his promise to Abram. He continues to be faithful to this promise to Abram. He's a faithful God, promise-keeping God, because we see the person of Jesus come, and Jesus is the seed to whom God had made his promises to through Abram. So again, if we look at this diagram, okay, so we see that Jesus comes in the timeline of salvation history many, many, many thousands of years later, and this is part of God keeping his promises to Abraham. You can follow what I'm saying, right? Very easy, this diagram. That's why the diagram is here. The passage then goes on to say this. What I mean to say is this, right? What I mean is this. The law, which was introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise, right? So that was the point that Paul is trying to make. The promise was made to Abraham. 430 years later came the law. And based on our understanding of human convention and God keeping his promises, then this law cannot then set aside or amend or change the, the promise which was already made before. Right? So it's like, you know, if I make a contract, it's ratified by the lawyers, it's recognized, I can't then much, much, much later write another contract and say, okay, the first contract doesn't matter. So what God is saying, what Paul is saying here is that God does the same thing. The law does not set aside the promise which was given to Abraham and also to the seed, Jesus. Now, the passage then goes on to say in verse 18, for, for, right? Because if the inheritance that depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, it's very easy for us to uh, miss verse 18 and kind of like, you know, just skip through it quickly. But verse 18 is very important, right? Because verse 18 ex expands and explains why the promise is not changed by the law. And so Paul now introduces this concept of inheritance, right? It says, you know, inheritance, okay, think for a moment, right? Inheritance, if you get inheritance from your parents, it's not through your own work. Right? It's not through the law. It's not through your own human effort. Inheritance comes through promise. Right? Inheritance comes through a will. Inheritance comes through a covenant, a contract. And the nature of inheritance also is uh, one of um, grace, generosity. Uh, I mean, hopefully your parents give you inheritance. But, but inheritance by its very nature is of the character of a promise from a parent to a child and has the character of the generosity of the parents to the child. Because, you know, I mean, for all you know, the parents could always 
blow your inheritance away, going on the VTL to America and Europe all the time, right? Like, like Ben was saying. So the character of, of inheritance is of promise and of the generosity of the giver. And that's what Paul says. Paul is saying that what we see here is that the law does not overrule the promise given to Abraham, but rather continues to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And because of that, we belong to God, we receive an inheritance, and that inheritance comes to us through grace of God, as well as the promise. So I told you we're going to keep coming back to this salvation timeline. And so what does this mean? This means that if you look on your right side, okay, uh, God gives us, right, gives us things, not because we have worked hard, humanly speaking, through the law, but rather he has given us things because of our promised inheritance and his generosity. So the first lesson that we learn from this early section is, what is the point of the law? The law does not set aside the promise made by God in his grace. So that's the first thing we learn. Now, the passage then goes on and says, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. What does this word transgressions mean? Transgressions. Uh, I don't think we've I've used that word in the last couple of months, right? I mean, what transgressions? The word transgressions is when you viol- there's a violation. Uh, you sin. You've trespassed. You've done something wrong. That's what trespass means. Transgression. Okay. And so the passage says here that actually. The law was given, the purpose of the law was given because of transgressions. And in verse 24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now this is shocking. This will be really shocking because we usually think of the law as given to restrain us from sin, to prevent sin, to eliminate sin. But the passage actually says here that the law was put in charge to lead us to Jesus Christ. How does that happen? How does the law, the point of the law, the purpose of the law, why was it put there to lead us to Jesus Christ? So there are two images, two pictures, two themes that uh, Paul picks up on to show how the law leads us to Faith in Jesus Christ. First point is prison. Prison. Verse 22. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the first image here is of prison. And the law, in a way, are like bars of your jail cell, right? It's trying to show us that that the law are like these bars of the jail cell where we cannot break free, right? The, The law is like a cage which cages us in. 
and we keep banging against the bars of the cage because we keep breaking the law. Now, the law also is like a, a prison warden. You know, a prison warden is there watching over you. It's like he's there watching over you all the time, ready for, for, for to pick up on anything you've done wrong. And so the law, it says here, is like the prison warden, constantly watching over you and reminding you of your inability to keep the law. So the first purpose of the law is to be like a prison warden, to lead us to Jesus Christ. The second uh, reason that is given here is this thing in verse 25. It says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now here, it's this, the original Greek word is, uh, if, if some of you got a different Bible, the translation is the word guardian, right? And so this word is, uh, in the original language, is called pedagogos. It means like uh, tutor or disciplinarian or custodian. So a bit of background is needed here. In the ancient world, uh, when you were young, you used to have a guardian or a disciplinarian put over you. Now, nowadays, obviously, maybe some of you, 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 know, you ask your mate to look after your young child, right? But uh, you, you never get your mate to cane your child, right? But in the ancient world, obviously, maybe they're, they're not so um, uh, kind to our children as they were, uh, we are today. So yeah, in the, those days, they used to put a custodian or disciplinarian over their children, and they could be really strict, right? You know, they could punish their children, they could uh, discipline them, they could correct them. So I remember when I was really young, I was sent to boarding school when I was 12 years old, and uh, the boarding school, we had 200 kids, right? And so they had lots of rules. Got to be in bed at a certain time, in the study room at a certain time, be at mealtime at a certain time. You're going to leave for the weekend, you've got to sign out, you're going to come back, you've got to sign in before a certain time. And um, one of the people that we really uh, were afraid of were the, were the older boys, the prefects. Because, you know, there are so many kids, right? So the housemasters used to put these older boys as prefects to watch over us. And so these older boys, you know, I think that's a really bad idea to put older boys over younger boys, you know, because they get all, up to all sorts of terrible things, right? So the older boys, to uh, discipline us, you know, they, what they, you know they, they, they used to come and, and poke us with a cricket bat if we didn't get out a bit fast enough. Or, you know, like if you break the rules, you've got to wash the, the, the shower or the toilet with a toothbrush. And then, uh, you know, if uh, we sit on the same table and the older boys are always there watching over us, right? If you, don't, if you slurp your food or you don't eat properly, they smack you on the back of the head. And so here, in a sense, are like these prefects, uh, these pedagogos, right? These tutors, disciplinarians. And that's what Paul compares the law to. He says that these pedagogos, they are like guardians of uh, the laws, operating like a guardian, watching over the people to, you know, to show them how they keep breaking the law over and over again and to lead them faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the passage there, oh, sorry, so what's the summary here? So the first section shows us that the law does not set aside the promise made by God in His grace. The second section tells us that the law leads us to faith in Jesus Christ. The passage then goes on and says, you 
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. First thing I want us to notice here is who is Paul speaking to? Okay, there's a repeated use of the word here, all. And so he's speaking to you. Okay, so he's not speaking to himself. He's not speaking about himself. He's speaking to the Galatian Gentiles. These people are not Jews. And so it would be very shocking, right? That, hey, these Gentiles, they are the sons of God. They belong to the family of God. All of them have an opportunity to belong to the family of God. Regardless of how rich and poor they are, whether they're slave or free, everyone can be part of the family of God. And this comes through the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Through, okay, this word here is very important, right? Through, through faith, oops, sorry, go back. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why is faith in Jesus Christ so important? Okay, the reason is then given, right? For because all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, you belong to Christ, you're all one in Christ. So what it's really trying to say here is, faith in Jesus Christ unites you with Jesus Christ. You are incorporated into Jesus Christ. You participate in Jesus Christ. Now, this is super, super important. Because we cannot become sons of God by ourselves. We cannot become sons of God through our own hard work. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ so that we are united in Christ and we participate in Christ. So, let me show you this diagram, right? So look at this diagram. Okay, this is very important, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, we now have incorporation into Jesus, into the body of Christ, into the sphere of Christ, into his own self. Now, why is this important? You see, God the Father, Jesus, are part of this wonderful relationship. Now, we can't just barge in there and be part of that relationship, right? We can't say, oh yeah, you know, God the Father, we want to be part of your family. Uh, you know, I've done all these great things, and so I should be in. But rather, the way that we become part of this relationship, this wonderful relationship that God the Father and Jesus have is by faith because by faith we are baptized into Christ, we are clothed with Christ, we are one in Christ and we belong to Christ. And in this way, we are actually sons of God. We have this wonderful relationship that we are now in because we are part of Jesus Christ. So this is Buckingham Palace, right? And uh, let's say I get sick of uh, living in my, my flat and, you know, I, I want a bit, something a bit more spacious. Lah, okay? And also, I, I, like, I like to be called Prince Ong. Okay? You know, I, I don't want to be called Pastor Andrew Ong. And so, I want to become Prince Ong. How do I become part of the royal family of England? Well, I can't work hard to be part of the family of England. Right? I, I probably have to be adopted by the Queen. But, you know, 
he probably would want to adopt someone, someone who is English, right? Because I'm Singaporean. Why, why would she want to adopt me, right? But the wonderful news that we have here is actually that through faith in Jesus, God has given this invitation to every single person to be incorporated into the person of Jesus Christ so that we will be part of the family of God. We will be considered sons of God. So, what is this section telling us? This section is telling us that through faith in Jesus, we are united in Jesus, we are cooperated with Jesus, we participate in the body of Jesus, and we are now part of the sons of God. And that's why we are able to receive the inheritance of promise. Now, the passage then goes on, and it says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians, trustees, until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Now, again, we need background, right? Which is quite very important. See, in the ancient world, uh, children, uh, minors, underage people, like our youth group, they didn't have any rights or status. Uh, that's why I suppose maybe it's better to be born in our time than the time of ancient Rome where, you know, as kids you could be treated pretty badly okay, by your guardians and your trustees. And so they, the, they were subject to, I guess, or slaves or under the authority of their guardians. They had no status or rights as children. What happens was that when they reach a certain age, uh, Roman law stated that they would be free of their guardianship and they would receive full rights as sons and heirs. So you might be thinking, ah, how come this guy got this funny purple-colored toga, right? Well, apparently in the ancient world, uh, when you reach a certain age and you attain full rights as sons or as uh, children, you would then be allowed to wear a special toga, right, to symbolize that, hey, I'm no longer under guardianship, but now I'm actually receiving the full rights of sonship. So it doesn't matter, right, you know, your, your father could be the richest person in the Roman Empire, but until you reach that age, you were a nobody. You had no legal recognition, you know, you were still under this guardian or trustee. But it's only when you transition into full adulthood that you had the full rights of sonship. And so what Paul is really saying here is that the law has that same function. The law, in a sense, has the function of this guardian, watching over God's people while they are still young. Until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and redeemed them, from that guardianship and then gave them the full rights of adulthood. 
full rights to inherit everything that God, his Father, had prepared. Now, this word redeem is a very important word, right? Because we studied last week. It means rescue or to liberate from someone who is under uh, tyranny or under slavery. And so what, what God is really saying here is the law is like this cage, this prison. Jesus comes and dies on the cross. We, he redeems us or breaks us free from this cage so that we may have freedom and receive the full rights as sons. So what do we learn here? We learn that now we are no longer under the law, but we have full rights as sons. So this section shows us that God's role, the law's role, sorry, as guardian has ended with Jesus, with Christ redeeming us from the law. Now, if you look at this diagram then, it means that the law no longer functions as this pedagogos over us. It no longer leads us to faith. It no longer functions as a prison officer over us. That role of the law has expired. It no longer functions as this prison officer, this pedagogos over us. You see, many years ago, I read this book by this guy called uh, Colin Powell. Um, he was an American general who uh, led the American forces to invade Iraq. As you can see, Colin Powell is a black American, right? Clearly a black American. And in his book, he says how on his desk, he has this quote by Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was a very famous civil rights activist. And he said, freedom has always been a very expensive thing. And uh, you know how the, the freedom that's been won for the American blacks has come at great sacrifice and denial. And so the reason why Colin Powell said that he kept this quote on his desk was because he wanted to remind himself that his job, one of his jobs was to make sure that in the American army, there would always be equal rights for American blacks. Now, with all the hard-worn freedoms won by the American blacks, do you think that the American blacks like Colin Powell will want to go back in history and live in slavery? Of course not, right? Could you imagine a black American today wanting to go back in history to live in slavery? Of course not. And that's the same thing that what Paul is saying today, right? Saying that now that we are redeemed by what Jesus has done for us on the cross, now that we are sons of God, would we want to go back to live under the slavery of the law as a prison officer? Definitely not. In the same way, now that I'm adult, I mean, obviously I'm 50 years old, so I hope I'm an adult, would I want to go back to live in boarding school as a, as a student? Of course not, right? Why would I want to go back to live in boarding school to be under prefects again? No, I'm an adult. I'm free. I have the full rights of an adult. In the same way, why would someone who lives in the freedom of Christ want to go back and live under the guardianship of the law? So, the last part that I think is really important for us to learn as well is verse 6. It says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. Now, 
To us, it doesn't mean very much, Abba Father. But Abba Father is a deeply intimate relational phrase that Jews would call their father. It's like Daddy or Papa or Pa. The Jews would never call God Abba Father. Right? It's, it's, it's either Elohim, the Creator God, or Yahweh, the Covenant God. You don't call God Daddy. But that's exactly what has happened to us now. Now that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the law, now that the Spirit of the Son is in our hearts, we can call God Abba Father. And what I'm trying to impress upon you here is how the death of Jesus and faith in Jesus have given us this deep, deeply intimate relationship with God the Father. It is a real privilege that we can call this powerful, majestic, sovereign creator God, Daddy, right, or Papa, Abba Father. That's exactly what is happening here. And so, given the privilege of being so intimately close to God because of Jesus, then Paul is saying, look, we are sons, we are heirs, we have the full rights of sonship. So don't go back to the law, but recognize the privileges, the, the, the wonderful privileges we have in Jesus Christ. And really give thanks to God for all the, these things that he's given us through his promises and through his grace. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that even though today's passage may be complex and deep, but yet as we chew over it, we reflect upon it, we may wonder, we may come with amazement, we may be filled with thankfulness, for we are truly your sons, your children. We are part of your heavenly family. We are heirs to a wonderful promise. We are able to call you Abba Father. Help us to, to really wonder and be amazed at, at the, the depth of intimate relationship that we can have with you because of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that all these things come from your promise to Abraham and not through our own human efforts in trying to obey the law. Help us to see that, uh, that it is only because you are a promise-keeping God that uh, you've sent us Jesus to be able to have this wonderful opportunity that all people, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, young, old, men, women, everyone can have the possibility of coming into this deep relationship with you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so now's the time for breakout rooms. For those of us here in uh, GBHQ, you can take this opportunity to uh, discuss with the person next to you, or you can also just reflect on what you've learned from the passage. There are two questions here. Uh, what is the purpose of the law? And also, why are we so fortunate to have Jesus Christ? Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.